And too many times I hear people saying, I can't believe a nurse would do that. You know, I would never do that. You know, that's a nurse, they know better. But we have too many things that we're involved in. There's, there's always kind of that list of your priorities and you have to choose a cutoff at some point of saying, you know, I can only do this much and everything below that is, is gonna be subpar. And that's not acceptable with some high-risk processes. So for me, that's been a, a big focus of mine is to help them see the importance of, of we're gonna do this process one way. And welcome everybody to Equality Podcast. We are here today with Clinton Pope. Clinton has a background in industrial engineering and is currently with the Department of Defense. So Clinton, I believe you have four boys, one girl, and you're chief of quality management. You're in Germany. That sounds like a lot going on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? For sure. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. So I've been here in Bavaria, Germany for three years. It was really quite an adventure. I, right before coming here, was working for a healthcare system in Arizona and uh, just somehow had this great idea that I would move overseas. And so started looking for jobs in Italy and Germany and other places. And this job with the DOD popped up. And basically, I'm, I'm here doing performance improvement, quality management for a healthcare organization uh, treating uh, U.S. soldiers and their families. So it's really been kind of an awesome opportunity. I served active duty myself. I was a combat medic back quite a few years ago. And so it was great to get back working with service members and uh, helping to improve quality for them. But yeah, we just had our uh, fifth child five weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Very so wait, so was the, was the fifth one and the girl? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you can stop now. That's what we're saying. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I also just turned 45. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking what in the world did I do? But uh, very happy to have a little girl in our home. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's exciting. So basically what I got out of that is the Germans don't let our soldiers use their healthcare system. Is that uh <laughs> well, actually, they, uh, they actually do let us use their healthcare system uh, quite a bit, but uh, we, we maintain basic services for primary care and some specialty care. But uh, in, in the area that I'm in, we don't have a hospital uh, that's over on the other side of Germany. And so for any kind of emergency care or surgery or uh, labor and delivery, we use the, the German healthcare system for those things. How's your German? Horrible. <laughs> I work on a military base with other Americans. And so I can go to the grocery store and I can I can pay for groceries. I can order bread from the bakery, but that's about it. <laughs> so what I got out of that is the Germans aren't very civilized. They don't have a lot of health care. So we have to supplement. So what? <laughs> no, not that. Not, Germans not actually that, right? <laughs> No. Uh, I, I knew nothing about Germany before coming here. I'd never really been outside of the country other than uh, when I was active duty, I deployed to Iraq. Uh, but to, to out of the blue decide I was gonna move my family 
overseas was a little crazy and we got here completely unprepared thinking you know what in the world are we getting into uh, but germany has been incredible the people here are so friendly so nice uh, they are very civilized uh, healthcare system here is actually very advanced in germany and uh, i i'm in a in bavaria it's it's farming country and so everything closes down early they don't have some of the conveniences we're used to in the US, but Germany is actually uh, very advanced in a lot of ways. They've got a great system here. So yeah, let me ask you. Make some good cars too, so. Oh, this guy will talk about cars the whole episode if you let him, so. Let me, let me ask the deep question right out of the top. How do you add value to the healthcare process? Great question. So, in some ways, I struggled with that when I first got here. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> How am I adding value to this? Um, but we, we do really good with helping to assess how the organization is doing in terms of healthcare standards. So we followed the Joint Commission uh, accreditation. We, we uh, really focus on assessing the standards, understanding the risk associated with not following the standards, and then help the organization to, to meet those standards. Uh, we, we look at a lot of different data to understand where the risks are. And some of that is, is actual issues that we see. We have a, a patient safety reporting system where we, we hear from nurses and doctors and techs and people throughout the organization, and they'll report any kind of failure, whether it's a, something that they caught before it reached a patient or if something actually reaches a patient, is there harm involved? Is it a no harm event? And that data becomes very valuable to the quality team. So we will use that data to look at different trends. Are we finding issues with certain types of equipment? Are we finding issues with certain types of processes, procedures, whatever it might be? We use that data to understand where the risk is and where we can help the organization. So it's really about finding those gaps finding those failure points, and from there, coming up with a plan to help them improve. So what does that translate to as far as a day-to-day? -day? What does that environment look like? So day-to-day, -day, it's really all over the place. So again, for the past three years, I was the program manager for process improvement or performance improvement. And with that, it was really helping different improvement teams and coming up with strategies for what to focus on. So there's multiple layers of that. Uh, kind of at the top of that was doing strategic planning with the organization. So working with all the leaders and different people throughout the organization to come up with kind of our focus areas for the, for the strategic look. What are some of the areas that we're struggling in? And with those focus areas, we would translate that down to different departments, different groups, and we would work with improvement teams on specific projects. So one of the issues that continues to come up in healthcare is properly identifying patients. If you, and, and this is one of the things that we focused on, if you're not really good at verifying who you've got in front of you, you can chart information on the wrong patient. You can perform a procedure on the wrong patient. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong. And so throughout healthcare, there's an effort to, to properly identify patients. And so in that area specifically, I've worked with a team to just look at the different processes involved, 
what are the different times that you should identify a patient. If, if they're right in front of you, that's kind of the obvious one, but there's all kinds of other things of scanning things into a record or providing uh, medical records, making sure that you're handing the right record to the right person. And so it was kind of fun just to work through those types of processes. But each day it's, it's something new, just different process, a different issue that we're working on. But uh, I'm more in a consulting role where I'm helping different teams of people to work through those types of improvements. Good deal. Jake, I hope that answers your lengthy uh, inquiries. Um, so <laughs> today we wanted to talk about systems thinking and applying it to business outcomes. So I love the topic. Um, I think it makes sense, you know, given your background, what you do now uh, to sort of think that way. Um, I think in my experience with that, it's kind of been a constant struggle to get management to think in terms of systems and processes and outcomes, you know, as the result of a system or systems of processes, right? It can get a bit complex. It's, it's rarely complicated, but it's always complex, right? So when we talk about business outcomes as the result of systems and processes, what's sort of the burning thing in your mind when we talk about that topic that you wish everybody and all the business managers and the people you work, work with understood? Yeah, that's a, a great uh, question. I, I think about that a lot because uh, you're right. In, in my experience, a lot of people don't really understand the systems approach. For me, and especially in healthcare, this is kind of touching on the principles of high reliability. And, and we definitely use that term a lot in our organization where we want to be highly reliable. Now, some of the principles for high reliability is to take kind of that process and systems approach to quality and safety and, and to create a culture where people aren't afraid of failure. They're not afraid of talking about failure. They're kind of preoccupied with failure. And in order to create that culture, you really need to, to focus when there is a failure, focus on the system, focus on the process. If you focus on the person who failed, who messed up, you're going to inappropriately blame or shame that individual. And so this is something, especially in a military culture, not just healthcare culture, but army culture, there's definitely a bias towards focusing on the individual. And so I, I wish that I could help leaders really understand the importance of removing all fear of failure. And focusing on the system is definitely, from my perspective, that's the right approach. Let's look at what structures we can change. Let's, let's look at the things within that system that we can change. And that'll create a much better culture and allow people to deal with failure in a much healthier way. Well, let me tell you, the military is not alone. <laughs> yeah. A lifetime in warehousing, we have the same bias. Yeah, I like that. I like the understanding of psychology. And I think, you know, it ties in with the work of Deming uh, and others. Um, I think the aspect that 
it really intrigues me that I have some difficulty sometimes helping business leaders to grasp is repeatability and reliability, which is to say, if you have a business process that is in statistical control, then you know what your outcomes are. And you are always better as a business that way, right? Obviously, it can support root cause analysis, problem solving, that sort of thing. But just the experience of the consumer, you know, it does. you don't have to be good. You do have to be consistent, right? Nobody goes to McDonald's because the food is good. I don't think, right? <laughs> but because there's a dollar menu and I can get through there in five minutes. People go to Chick-fil-A when the line is wrapping around the building. They know the line is going to be wrapped around the building. It's always wrapped around the building. But because of that consistency, they can plan for it or not, right? But what if you went to Chick-fil-A one day and you were out in two minutes and you came back the next day and you had to wait 15? That affects your experience as a consumer pretty significantly. Yeah, so, absolutely. Talk a little bit, you know, obviously in healthcare, I think it's probably more important than fast food. I don't know. But uh, talk a little bit about repeatability and reliability in relation to systems thinking. Yeah, absolutely. This is, it's tough in healthcare. Um, medical error is one of the leading causes of death in the world. <laughs> and so uh, it's not a very reliable system, especially when you get into more of the high risk procedures and surgeries and things. I'm kind of lucky here where I'm ambulatory care and we have very uh, low risk, but we still deal with the issues with reliability and repeatability. And this is one of the reasons that standards are so important. Um, I think standards are often misunderstood, but we get standards from the Joint Commission and they're very broad. You know, they're gonna say this general statement, you know, that you should use two, uh, two patient identifiers. And that, that's kind of, you know, for that one standard, that's really all it's gonna say. And so we have to operationalize that for us. We, we have to say, well, what's our standard of work? What's our actual procedure that we're gonna follow every time we have to identify a patient? And unfortunately in healthcare, my experience is that we're not really good at defining that standard work in a way that it's translatable across the organization that we can really give clear instructions. Like, here you go, these are the steps. This is a nice, pictorial or whatever we want to give, we're not good at that. And we have so many of these complex processes, these high-risk processes. And in a lot of ways, we're just doing the best we can based on our knowledge and our experience and our training. You know, you're licensed as a nurse or a tech or whatever it is you're licensed at. And too many times I hear people saying, I can't believe a nurse would do that. You know, I would never do that you know, that's a nurse, they know better, but we have too many things that we're involved in. There's, there's always kind of that list of your priorities and you have to choose a cutoff at some point of saying, you know, I can only do this much and everything below that is, is going to be subpar. And that's not acceptable with some high-risk processes. So for me, that's been a, a big focus of mine is to help them see the importance of of we're going to do this process one way. 
we're going to be very good at, at following this standard work, developing that standard work. Uh, but I struggle with that every day. It's tough, especially here. The military changes over so fast. People are only here for two, maybe three years. And then you're working with brand new staff again. Every summer is this transition of all the people leaving, all the people coming. And so every, every summer, it's like, I got to reteach the same things over and over. And so I can only get so far, but repeatability, um, reprodu reproducibility is very difficult in healthcare. And I definitely struggle a lot with that. Well, I like that everything you've said is exactly applicable in the warehouse. Step one, every critical process that has failure, you have to engineer capacity into it. If I need 10 people to load 10 trucks to hit my 100 for the day, take an 85th percentile, give me 12 guys. And then when they're at that crunch, I actually have capacity engineered to not. Now, nobody's life is on the line, you know, in a warehouse, but the same, the same theories all still apply. So then secondarily is my turnover is over 100%. My constant focus is we have to have a platform where we consistently re-engage the same basic training. Stuff that you would hear and go, well, I know that. Why are you training a whole group of people on that? But it's absolutely required given, you know, the field and the world that we live in. So well said. Yeah. It, one thing that's funny is that in, in a plant or in, in a, what did you say, warehousing or, a, you know. Yeah, in, in the logistics space. Yeah, you, you see a lot more engineers, you see a lot more technical people and healthcare is really only barely getting there. Uh, most, most people in my job, in my role in performance improvement are a nurse that's happened to go to a four week Lean Six Sigma course. And so they don't know quality the way an industrial engineer knows quality or, or other engineers for that matter. And so in healthcare, there's not enough of of the technical individuals that really understand statistics, understand quality control that, uh, that can approach quality the way an engineer will. And in some ways, you know, I, I'm boasting and saying that because I'm very proud of my industrial engineering education and, and what I can do with that. Um, but Healthcare is is just barely starting to pick up. A lot of organizations, I actually just recently interviewed with Banner Health in Phoenix, and they've got a whole team of industrial engineers. And it's awesome to see that. And some of them have been in healthcare for 30 years. And so some organizations have embraced that and have done well with it. Um, but it's still, even for them, it's very difficult to, to share some of these practices whether it's standard work or any of the other lean type practices, we, uh, we struggle to, to get the buy-in with other healthcare professionals. Yeah, I, I like the call out and uh, I think it applies to almost every industry outside of manufacturing probably. Um, and, and probably needs to be said, which is, you know, the engineer, has a level of knowledge, right, that significantly outstrips anything you get in one of these, you know, black belt courses. And I know because I have both, right? So the, the type of math and physics modeling and statistical modeling that 
I had to understand, you know, to get my black belt was kind of like freshman year stuff, honestly, right? Um, and that's okay. But if you're running a large organization and you're trying to implement lean or a quality management system or anything in the technical or systems realm, right? It's kind of up to us and, and I say us, I guess, you know, me in the consulting space to kind of educate them. You can't just go hire somebody that has a black belt and get what you need. You know, you have to have people that can engage and talk to other people, but you definitely have to have people that have the technical knowledge and skill to actually help you out. And there, there can be some overlap. There can be people that are educated and skilled in engineering, you know, that have a black belt certification, for example, and know how to work in that kind of org. I've got several friends that fall into that category. They work for General Electric, or they did. I, I don't know what's happening to GE right now, but... Uh, Is that uh, still a company? No, it's going to be three <laughs> companies now. And I don't know what they're going to... There's going to be like uh, General Aviation, General something else. They got rid of the lighting division last year. I thought that was like, you know, that was like a, a Chevy Camaro, like... They, ne they they're never going to get rid of that, but they did. Um, but anyway, uh, you, you know, I appreciate your modesty, but I think it needs to be said, and I have to educate people in that, you know, frequently, which is, you know, don't buy the hype, if I can put it that way. You know, just because somebody has a, a black belt, it's nowhere close to the level of knowledge and education uh, that you get out of an engineer. So. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I always use the, uh, I, I always use the, uh, the metaphor that uh, me as an industrial engineer, especially having a, a master of science in industrial engineering in the medical world, that's equivalent to say a, a nurse practitioner who can practice medicine with their own license or a, uh, a physician's assistant who can practice under a doctor and, and then asking them, say, you know, you're a, you are a provider, you can do all these things, but we want you to get licensed as an EMT basic. Right. You know, but that, that certificate is really important right. to us. We want you to get that certificate. And I just wish I could g give them what I have in my mind and say, you know, I'm, I'm an industrial engineer that kind of trumps any kind of lean yeah. Six Sigma or anything else. And, you know, yet I've got it. I've got the, the black belt because people want to see that. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's such a vast difference in knowledge, especially when there's not really any standardization when it comes to Six Sigma training. You know, I can go through the army system and four weeks in a project and I'm a black belt. With me to, to earn the Lean Six Sigma black belt through Arizona State University, I had to take four master's level courses and do a, a massive project. You know, it, it was a 30 page project. It went through a, you know, evaluation process. And to me, I thought, okay, this, this Lean Six Sigma stuff must be pretty big deal. And then I get out in the real world and realize other people are getting a black belt certificate in four weeks without, yeah. without the statistics that I had to learn without all this, uh, you know, production management and, and quality management courses that I took, 
a lot went into that. And I thought, oh, I guess maybe this Lean Six Sigma thing is not as cool as I thought it was if somebody else can earn it in four weeks. So yeah, there's, uh, I definitely have my opinions when it comes to Lean Six Sigma. I, I was very proud when I did it, when I, when I got that certificate, I was happy to get it. And I've done a lot of stuff with that knowledge but others get, you know, the same title with a lot different uh, uh, process. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yeah, the so, lack, of, lack of standardization, it continues to be a problem. Um, you know, we have to look at where credentials come from. Um, but really, you know, for me, working in lean and continuous improvement, you know, with companies, um, the proof is in the pudding, you know, I, I don't put nearly as much weight on somebody being credentialed as what have you done? If you haven't done anything yet, okay, well, let's talk about how you can create value and you're going to practice on us. I get it. And you're going to get paid commensurately. Um, but if you've worked with an organization and, you know, developed value and can kind of demonstrate your projects, and, and prove your work, uh, then great, you know, because um, I've worked with, uh, you know, educated idiots, and uh, I've worked with uh, very successful and shrewd, uneducated people. Um, but the, the McDonaldization of lean thing is very real. And there's, there's a lot of folks making money, um, kind of ripping people off. So it, it just is what it is. I think, right. That is part of the inspiration behind the brand. You will not believe how many people are in the Six Sigma world. They're connected to me. And then they post something that is just not even logical. It's not pragmatic. It's not logical. It doesn't exist in objective reality. Or then they go one step further and try to like introduce some sort of esotericism to like the Lean Six Sigma process. And I'm like, you just don't know reality. <laughs> you just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah the, yeah, the adding too much value thing, like, hey, I'm creative. I thought of something new. Honey, let me tell you something. Winslow Taylor wrote that down and has since been corrected 19 times. Okay, so you need to you need to stop. You know, and then there's the, the guy who's like, well, actually, let me tell you what it really means. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at what you're writing, and then I'm looking at my textbooks and courses from MIT and they all disagree with you. So I'm going to go with these guys over here. <laughs> you know, um, you, you definitely have some of that in the, uh, in the industry right now. Yeah. Which, I you know, spaces where, where you've got, uh, these discussions going on and there's always, you know, some people are, are coming into this, just learning it and they're so excited about it and they want to share and they, they want to say all these things. And it just becomes really obvious that they've got, you know, an education that, that they paid a lot of money for, they get the certificate, but they're, they're lacking so much when it comes to real world exercise and, and how to apply it. Yeah, and a couple of the loudest voices in the world in our field are academics who like, they're a professor at a school or they haven't been inside an operation they're talking about since I've been alive. And they're trying to argue the finer point about how this problem should be addressed. I'm like, well, if you would get out and be in the working conditions, you would have a completely different opinion here. Well, it's an interesting point because we know that the connection between theory and reality is the people, 
right? Who embody whatever you're trying to do, right? Unless you're a computer scientist, in which case have fun. <laughs> um, so there is no doubt that for the generation that grew up with the internet, which is a lot of the folks entering the workforce now, um, they think and behave differently. Uh, the core human psychology remains the same, but just the way they frame problems and think about things and, you know, where am I going to look for stuff is different. Um, I worked at a factory that was probably 90, I'm going to say about 90% white male over the age of 50, you know, old, old union shop. And, you know, they had this thing going on where it was like, don't make things too safe for me. I'm not a pussy, right? Uh, don't, give me any fancy stuff. I want my standard work, you know, written in on the side of my toolbox with a grease pen, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, it was cultural. And I remember one of the managers who had come up through the ranks uh, in Tool and Die talking about, you know, in 1954, I was right here in this room when somebody threw a wrench at me because I screwed up, you know. Uh, well, now, contrast that to folks that I'm hiring right now, and they kind of you know, aren't good with the standard binder. You remember, like, everything used to be a binder. It had tabs, right? Tab 1.1 had a topic. You'd open that up, and it would have, like, 1.1a, you know, like, standard binder. They're, they're not good with it. Like, their brain is hardwired differently. But if I put it on a touchscreen, it can even be just a, a Microsoft PowerPoint, you know, with linked... Uh, what do we call it? Internal hyperlinks, man, they get it like that. And so yeah. like things are changing and it's up to us, uh, you know, as change leaders to come to terms with where people are at, you know, and empower them where they're at, not try to uh, force them to be something they're not. Right. Yeah. Well, in, in my working environment, we've still got the, the wide mix of uh, generations. We've got a lot of young people who are, good with technology who who can get into these systems and, and take full advantage of them and and yet we've got a lot of old timers who are retired active duty and and they're still just working now as a civilian and they don't know how to do anything in excel or 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 any of the the tools that uh, are so valuable especially in the quality world and i just wonder you know how are they still doing it uh, but they they've got this this knowledge, right? They've got all this experience. And, and so it, it does become a challenge of how do you work with these generational gaps when technology has changed so much over the past 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you know, it just, it's amazing. And I see that with my kids, you know, they, they all have their own iPad and they're, you know, can do amazing things on this iPad. That's their world. That's all they know. Uh, I uh, I rented a car a few years back, and uh, it was actually coming here. I had to ship my car. They, they actually will ship my car from the U.S. all the way over here to Germany. And so I took it to a port in San Diego, and I rented a car to come back. And my son, who is with me, he's sitting in the back, and he says, Dad, what's that knob? I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And I, I look back, and he's he's got a knob for rolling the window up. He's never seen one of those before. He's only experienced the, the button that you push. And I thought, man, this world that my kids are growing up in is so different. 
in so many ways. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so easy to look back at, at these generations and, and uh, kind of joke about the upcoming generations of, of how they just don't know how to use a binder. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's going to be some great advantages to that, too. And, and it's kind of tough to see those, to see past the, like, why can't they just get this, this way that we've always done it? Um, but yeah, I, I definitely see that challenge in a lot of different ways. For me, what I, I always take this approach with systems thinking where I, I break it into kind of like a, a plan, do, steady, act. Uh, but I, I've delved real deep into each of those pieces. What does it really mean to, to plan? What does it really mean to study? And you can look at that cycle from a macro perspective, you know, like a strategic perspective, maybe over the next year or two for an organization. And you can look at that for a day-to-day activities. There's so, so uh, for me, it's like a fractal, you know, no matter how far you zoom in, you can keep using it at, at multiple levels. And so with, with that cycle, the study piece to me is about perceptions. It's about what we know and what we understand. If we don't take the time to really study the process, to understand the system, to understand the different inputs, to understand the different pieces of that, that system or process, we're, we're missing a lot. And this goes into you know, the, the generational gaps or whatever it is we're looking at in an organization. We have to improve that perception that we have through study, through observation, through being at the job site by by seeing firsthand for ourselves, by talking to those involved. And it's only with the, the more and more we study, the more we put into that, that we're prepared to recycle through that, to say, okay, with that knowledge that I have now, what can I plan? What can I improve? You know, what are my targets? What are my standards that I'm trying to meet? And uh, each time you cycle through that, you learn a little bit more and more. Uh, but I apply that to pretty much everything. That's kind of my leadership approach. That's my quality approach. I can use that, those principles in anything that I do. It kind of becomes a framework for me to, uh, to help teach the principles, to help practice the principles. And so I always go back to that, those four steps, plan, do, steady, act, and, and the depth of, of where I can go with that. That seems to be your, your child rearing process as well, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, and I learned a lot. Uh, it, it's funny because just having uh, a new baby in the house, we have a pretty big gap, uh, five years uh, between her and, and her older brother, the, the next youngest one. And I've forgotten what it's like <laughs> to have a baby. I forgot how little sleep I get and everything else that goes with it. But uh, it's, it's making me reflect back to when the boys were young. And uh, luckily, I'm a lot more patient guy <laughs> than I was back then. Uh, she's definitely going to be spoiled having uh, me uh, a little more experienced, a little older, a little uh, more patient and, and willing to, to put up with some of the things that go on in the house. But absolutely, in every aspect of life, that, that simple process, that simple four-step model, whatever you want to call it, uh, it, it comes into play. Yeah, the early early months were tough. I remember having to check into a hotel so I wouldn't have to hear the kid. But um, 
God. <laughs> yeah, the what I love about PDSA, actually, most of lean when I when I PDCA PDCA yeah whatever SA. Um, when I when I talk to whoa them, whoa whoa defend your sure. argument why PDSA oh god um why it's just it's the old argument it's it's deming's own words that he preferred study and when i look into it the principle as a whole and i i actually can uh defend this pretty well uh, at least in my own mind (laughs) we'll see how it comes out in words but um Check just doesn't do it for me. Check is too quick sounding to me. Check is is look, but study, it, it it means a lot more. It's a lot deeper look. You have to really put in some more effort. You have to learn a few things. You have to take some time and study not just the data, but the process itself. This is you know going to the gemba, going to the where work is done. It's all involved in that study step from my perspective. So I definitely prefer study just just it holds more weight in my mind than check. Let, let, uh, let's quote that Clinton has a problem with a check. Yeah, and uh, I apologize. Uh, Jake's just pulling your leg because we're making fun of a certain subset of our industry. <laughs> so, um, gotcha. but we're we are uh, getting close on time. So I want to kind of draws back in a little bit and and uh, get a few important points in. So what I like about PDSA, uh, most of lean is a management approach um, that's designed to apply certain engineering principles to regular people and get them to behave in accordance with uh, some principles of physics. Um, and so it's very memorable, like PDSA kind of sticks, right? Uh, but it's kind of just the scientific method. Um, you know, that that's really what it is. And that recursive reiterative approach, anybody that, um, you know, is engaged in physical product design. Now, I know, I know software is a little bit different, uh, but when you're designing a physical product, like this is what it is, like this is your job. You know, you, you're making ballpoint pens, you make the plan, Right. You make the pen, you study the pen, and then you adjust it until eventually you end up with this skill craft U.S. government ballpoint pen that's perfect and doesn't have to change for 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, that's not my experience with the uh, with the pen. (laughs) No, I'll tell you what, though, they're pretty or the government (laughs) (laughs) or the government. Sure. no, so you're absolutely the right. Though, I, that, the, the scientific approach, and, and to me, I, I look for these patterns, right? This, this scientific method, the PDSA, the OODA loop, there's, there's dozens of them out there that it's the same principle, just in different order. You know, OODA loop, you start with observe. That's really the study piece of PDSA. Mm-hmm. And then you go to orient, which is... Uh, you know, orient is, is more about your, your aim. It, it's, uh, it's about the act piece uh, for PDSA, but all of these different um, four step models really are the same thing, just from different perspectives. And I think it just depends on, on what you learned first, maybe uh, in healthcare, we definitely use scientific a lot. Yeah. Scientific method a lot. 
And so I tend to go with that when I'm talking to nurses and doctors rather than PDSA, because they've never heard of PDSA. Yep. But I'll tell them about scientific method. I'll tell them about what they do every day. Hey, you assess a patient and, and then you come up with some sort of diagnosis and then you come up with the treatment plan and then you see if they'll actually do it and you follow up. It's the same exact principle. And we see this so many times in life. It's really all around us. It's how we learn. It's the theory of knowledge. And so many people try to make it into something more complex, but it is just that simple. You, you just go through an iterative cycle and you're going to see the same principles repeated over and over again. That's what I'm poking fun at. This is where it really hits home uh, going through that conversation, which is for people who understand the theory, you can recognize your audience's vocabulary and what they're comfortable with and use that to your advantage to get the outcomes you want. If you don't understand the underlying theory, then you're a slave to methodology and tools. And this is, you know, definitely that McDonaldization of lean thing that we were talking about earlier, right? You can't come in and help this company by doing a 5S event. It has no context. It doesn't mean a damn thing. What are they actually doing? How are they creating value? How does that process work? Where's the waste in the process? You can't do, I mean, 5S is visual workspace management theory anyway. How can you do that if you don't understand this, right? So I like how those threads kind of pull together. Um, and to me, what you're doing in your role with service members, as well as healthcare professionals who are service members and the different education, background, vocabulary, and then you with your engineering background, I think really demonstrates the power of understanding and learning theory and really internalizing it and learning how you can apply it in different contexts as opposed to, you know, color by number uh, type of approach, right? Yeah, absolutely. Healthcare needs a lot of help. And if, if you know anybody in the quality world, in the lean world that, that uh, has any kind of inkling to get into healthcare, uh, there's a lot of help that's needed. Uh, we, we look at, you know, these great high reliable organizations like aviation or nuclear or whatever, we, we look at these organizations, we try to learn from them and healthcare is like, we want to become an HRO, we want to be a highly reliable organization. And yet they, they really miss the boat in a lot of sense because they don't have that knowledge set. They, they come, you know, very smart people. When you talk about doctors and nurses, very smart people. And, uh, and so, yeah, how do, we, how do we get those technical folks to, to help out? Uh, to, to come into healthcare, to help share those things and bridge that gap because that it's a big bridge right now. It's a big divide between what healthcare is doing and what other industry professionals are doing when it comes to quality. Um, but it's just a, a unique challenge that the world's got to solve in some way when we still are performing surgeries on the, the wrong leg, <laughs> chopping off the wrong leg or, or performing a procedure on the wrong person. 
it, it just blows the mind the type of error that we continuously see in healthcare. And so um, there's, it really just comes down to that, uh, that knowledge gap and that, uh, that gap in, uh, in education. And I guess until they start teaching those principles to doctors and nurses, I think in a lot of ways, we're going to continue to see these types of issues. But I don't know, to me, the, the systems thinking approach is something that can help. <laughs> in my mind, I see the, the pathway to getting there, especially simple principles like Plan, Do, Steady, Act. But it's, it's teaching it in such a way, it's sharing it in such a way that healthcare professionals will really take hold of it. That's really the struggle. Yeah, that's always the struggle, right? Regardless of industry, the communication with real humans, uh, the buy-in, all of that. Um, and, you know, it, kind of listening to you talk through it, I, I'm just, I'm wondering if we're just not doing it wrong, like society, culture, and business in general. Like, I'm smart too. If you let me do brain surgery on you, you're an idiot. And so am I, right? I don't know how to do that. Uh, it's no big deal. There's a limit to everybody's fields, right? Um, so maybe in in the future, we'll have people who are good at different things that work across organizations. You know, why should a hospital system or a healthcare system have W-2 employees that are engineers that maybe specialize in healthcare. You know, maybe that's kind of difficult from a budget standpoint. Um, but what if you had a team of engineers and they work with multiple healthcare systems and organizations and hospitals? Um, in the same way, you know, doctors, should I be the employee of a hospital? How does that relationship look? You know, if you go to other, you know, mostly non-Western countries, the dynamic is totally different. You know, and and even in America, at different times in our past, the dynamic has been different, right? But uh, I'm thinking of um, where was I? Thailand in Thailand, right? So basically, there's like the one doctor for this whole region and he's he was riding around on an elephant um or maybe that was just for the tourists i don't know but uh, <laughs> you know he, he rides a donkey most of the time but when the tourists show up he rides an elephant but anyway you know riding from village to village like in a circuit caring for people right because it's more efficient with the resources they have etc and so i just think through like speaking of systems what kind of forces are in play in our culture, et cetera, that have forced us to do things in maybe suboptimal ways? Like the whole W-2 thing and the way the IRS is structured, that's a problem, right? Um, why are hospitals competing with each other? That doesn't seem to be in the spirit of what you do for a living, right? Yeah. Um, and so on and so forth. So I don't know, but I think the future might look different. Yeah, I like that uh, that you pointed out the forces, though, because I think a lot of people in systems thinking 
forget about that. We, we spend too much time talking about boundaries of a system or parts of a system or inputs and outputs. Um, but the, the driving force is really where it's at. You know, that's what's going to cause things to line up the way they do. That's going to create the flow to the system, whatever kind of force there is. And, you know, I look at a lot of quality professionals in healthcare and I'm, I'm always looking at job postings, uh, whether I'm trying to change jobs or not. I just like to keep an eye out there. And one of the trends that I see is most quality positions in healthcare, they require that position to be held by a nurse. They want somebody with a, a nursing license. And I wish that that's one thing that I wish I could change to say, you know, it, it's great to have clinical people in quality. They have a different perspective than an engineer is going to have by all means, you know, have a mix of nurses and, and other technical individuals. But I would love to communicate in some way to, to healthcare in general that don't require that quality person to be a nurse. Look at the value that an engineer can bring in to the quality team. It's a completely different view. But when you look at, uh, I just tested for the, the certified professional in healthcare quality with the National Association of Healthcare Quality, and everything in their quality manual is industry best practice. I'm like, wow, I already know this stuff. I'm not going to have to study that hard. So, you know, they know, they see the value of what engineers and other quality industries have brought in and that's what they're using. Yet somehow it, the message hasn't get, gotten out that we need more engineers in those quality positions. So that's one thing I would love to change more than anything is, is just to help healthcare in general, see the value of some of these technical uh, degrees, te uh, technical education. Yeah, it's a good call out. And I think it uh, highlights another uh, sort of force vector, right, on the system, um, which has to do with the way that companies envision creating value. There's still a very heavy, like Uber mentioned philosophy in a lot of organizations. There's still like a top-down authoritarian, this is the guy type of thing. Well, if you're thinking that way, you might very well require a nursing degree from your quality person, right? Because the buck stops here. But what if you had a team instead, right? I mean, you can't play football with one guy. Right? Yeah. You got to have a quarterback and a wide receiver. You got to have linemen and everybody else involved in the play, right? Even the coaches. How many coaches are there for an NFL team? Like 17, you know, because they all have different specialties, right? Yeah. So in the same way, if organizations, you know, are able to sort of transcend their culture, their 1980s B-school education or whatever is going into their decision-making process to think differently and outside the box, we'll just team two people up, right? Your engineers, your guardrail for really the technical side of process management and the nurse is the guardrail on the other side. So hire two people or don't hire them, right? You probably have to hire the engineer. You probably don't already have one of those on your staff, <laughs> you know, but uh, utilize a team, think differently about it, right? Yeah, yeah, the team approach is definitely uh, important. Uh, because you get those different perspectives and, and there, there are so many different perspectives that you can approach 
uh, quality from. It, it's interesting because I, I mentioned earlier this patient safety reporting system that we use. And, and this is anybody can put in any kind of report and you get all kinds of mix of reports. Some people trying to, uh, you know, throw somebody under the bus or, or some real issue, you know, we get a, a mix of everything. Um, but I, I've had somebody, I've had a lot of people push back saying, you can't really manage this system. And I'm thinking, well, why can't I? And, and, and the only thing I can think of is, you know, they're basically saying, you're not a nurse, you're not a clinical person. And so we don't want you, you know, closing out these reports, maybe inappropriately. Uh, but in my mind, this is, is one of the ways that I take advantage of that team approach is I don't do the investigation. I assign it to a nurse or to a lab tech or to an x-ray tech or whoever that expert is based on the uh, issue that we're seeing. And then I have to trust them that they're closing it out properly. And then I can take my outside view and make other decisions with that. Um, but absolutely, we, we have way too many issues going on. There's no one person, whether that's a doctor or a nurse or anybody else, that's really going to understand it all. Nobody's the subject matter expert of everything. And so we have to take that team approach. Yep, good word. Well, Clinton, we really appreciate you joining us today on Equality Podcast. We are running out of time. So real quick, tell folks how they can connect with you. Yeah, so you can connect with me through LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way. Uh, it's, I don't even remember my LinkedIn tag. I should, probably should have looked at it. Right. We'll put it down. We'll put it down below. Down right below there. And, yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I love to connect. I love to discuss all things uh, performance improvement, all things systems thinking. I get into philosophy quite often. And so LinkedIn is, is a, a great platform for all those great discussions, but uh, love to connect. Please reach out and uh, look forward to some conversations. And thank you for keep putting up with my BS on there. <laughs> thank you very much. I, I feel like we're going to have a lot of interesting conversations. I appreciate the time and the depth of the conversation for everybody out there on YouTube land. Thank you for joining the quality podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. PDCA, 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 PDCA. PDCA.